0: Here it is!
1: From deep inside your audio device of choice. He sounded more than usually excited today. I don't know what's, what's in his gruel. Ladies and gentlemen, this, this, this very weekend, this one I'm pointing to, actually putting my finger on right here, it marks a, a, a sort of important milestone in the life of uh, your host, it was 30 years ago this weekend that I first set foot in the city of New Orleans, Louisiana, to attend um, the jazz fest that's held uh, every springtime. Still, they're still doing it, uh, and that that began one of the two enduring love affairs of uh, my life. This infuriating, confusing, remarkable, entrancing absolute, non, non-comparable, incomparable uh, city called New Orleans. Um, gee, I was almost st- struck for, stuck wordless there for a moment. Um, and it was in the process of living here, being here, um, paying attention to what goes on here, that I became aware that and, and for many of you, this is going to be a familiar story, so just stick around for a minute, uh, that what the national media were telling us about the flood of 2005 was at odds with what two independent investigating teams, uh, both from major universities, were discovering about the causes of that flood in the months following. And uh, that disparity led me to put the people who led those investigations and a whistleblower from the Corps of Engineers on this program and then to make put them into a documentary film I made about the flood. And growing up as a news junkie, it was uh, a shock to me, actually. Um, I'd made fun of of people in uh, in the news and on the news for a long time, but it did come as a shock to me that this material, which was on the public record, was really never... Spotlighted by the by the media that came down here and and on the fifth anniversary bragged about poking their fingers in Senator Mary Landrieu's face as it, speaking truth to power. Nowadays, you can't. You, you really are, if you if you're a, an, an informed critic of the media, you risk being uh, derided as uh, being a a fellow traveler to use an old term, with uh, the absolutely um, psychopathic uh, press attacks of uh, President Trump. Um, But that's a game he's been playing for a long time, uh, taunting the press, using the press, being used by the press, taunting each other, and rinse and repeat, all the way back to his uh, publicist, John Miller, calling the New York Post to uh, tell them that uh, Marla Maples, Trump's girlfriend at the moment, had uh, reported that uh, she just had the best sex of her life with Donald Trump. But anyway, the, the, the miscreants at the heart of the story of the flood of 2005 was the, the United States Army Corps of Engineers by the judgment of both of those university-based investigations. And as you know, their motto, the motto of the Corps of Engineers is, let us try, essayons, essayons, in French. Why they would have a motto in French, only the French would know, but they're still at it. This week, from the La Crosse Tribune, I read it for the page numbers. The United States Army Corps of Engineers has agreed to let a handful of Midwestern utility companies pay staff to review their own permit applications. I know we've all dreamed of grading our own homework, but now it's possible. The Corps' St. Paul District announced this week that a couple of uh, energy companies would provide funding for one full-time position to work on wetland and water crossing permits for their projects in Minnesota and Wisconsin. The utilities say having a dedicated staff person will provide faster review, and and more certainty on the timing for projects that require many years of planning. I think most projects do. The uh, signed agreement with the utilities was not available, although a similar agreement with uh, Minnesota has already been signed. The universities will be uh, able—sorry—the utilities will be able to decide which of their projects get priority. The Corps says permit decisions in cases funded by the utilities will be reviewed by a supervisor whose paycheck is not funded by the utilities. Decisions will be published and updated monthly on a web page. Utility funds can't be used to review permit decisions. Since announcing this plan, the Corps has received one public comment questioning whether the agency could remain impartial. So they've been flying under the radar, and maybe they still are. It's the first such arrangement between the St. Paul District of the Corps and Utility Company. But we hope for many more, don't we? The Corps has dozens of agreements across the country under a 2000 law authorizing the Corps to accept outside funding for expedited permits so long as they, quote, do not impact impartial decision-making with respect to permits either substantively, substantively or procedurally, unquote. I wonder who lobbied for that law. While I'm wondering, hello, welcome to the show.
2: Sitting here eating my heart out, waiting, waiting for some lava to call. I doubt about a thousand numbers lately, almost ran the phone off the wall. I'm looking for some hot stuff, baby, this evening. I need some hot stuff, baby, tonight. I'm looking for some hot stuff. Stop tonight. Whoa, whoa. whoa. tonight whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. I'm looking for oh. whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. sitting here eating my heart out waiting waiting for some lover to cool. Died about a thousand numbers lately Ran the phone off the wall I'm looking for some hot stuff baby. Phoebe this evening
1: From the aforementioned New Orleans, Louisiana, which is celebrating its tricentennial, so it's 10 times older than my my residency here. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen,
3: we've got the
1: The study released this week offers the first evidence that chemicals found near fracking sites can damage the immune system. Right now the United States and China are jockeying for world domination in the production of shale gas achieved through hydraulic fracking, fracturing of the, uh, the rocks beneath, shale rocks, fracking is it's called involves the high-pressure injection of millions of gallons of chemical-laden water deep underground to crack rock, not rock, crack, that's gone, and release, is it? And release oil and gas. Roughly 200 chemicals have been found in wastewater, groundwater, and surface water in fracking-dense regions, that is to say regions where there's a lot of fracking, not regions where people are dense about fracking. I don't think that's Happening no more. Past research has reported elevated rates of health issues involving acute lymphocytic lymphoma, lymphoma, leukemia, sorry, and asthma attacks among residents in these areas, according to Courthouse News Service. But the new study was conducted on mice, and it suggests exposure to these chemicals during pregnancy may hinder particularly female offspring's ability to ward off diseases, including multiple sclerosis. Our study reveals there are links between early life exposure to fracking-associated chemicals and damage to the immune system in mice, says the lead author, Paige Lawrence, who's chairman of environmental medicine at University of Rochester Medical Clinic. Oh, University of Rochester? This discovery opens up new avenues of research to identify and someday prevent possible adverse health effects in people living near fracking sites, said Lawrence. The report was published in the journal Toxological Sciences. The boy keeps throwing it in the in the pool. Of the two hundred fracking chemicals found in groundwater, twenty-three were recently collect connected to developmental. I'll get the mouth working soon. Developmental and reproductive issues in mice. We know disruption is a uh, a, a popular term of art in the tech business this this time of man, but uh, they're talking about endocrine disruption in. Uh, the uh, systems of mice and men, to coin a phrase. What the frack? Now, ladies and gentlemen, please hum the theme music to uh, this next feature. It appears to be missing in action, but I am going to read the trades for you. This from militarytimes.com. dot com. U.S. forces in Afghanistan have dropped more munitions in the first three months of this year than during the same time period in 2011. That was a time widely considered to be the height of the war. I guess it's still growing. Just put another another notch on the door jam. The spike in bombing comes after years of drawing down U.S. troops across the country's remote villages, and it looks like it relies increasingly on an intelligence network grounded in technical capabilities rather than human interactions. Numbers released by Central Command document 1,186 munitions expended, that's the use of the word by Military Times, by aircraft in the first three months of this year. In 2011, during those same months, the military documented 1,083 weapons released. They didn't expend them, then they released them. These weapon releases included both manned and unmanned aircraft. The Pentagon has said the increase in kinetic air operations, their phrase for bombing, is part of a scheme to degrade the Taliban's finances by targeting drug labs, which the insurgents are known, according to the Pentagon, to tax. This drug lab bombing campaign has been touted by military leadership as a new innovative approach to defeating the Taliban. During 2011, the number of U.S. troops in-country hovered just below 100,000 as of September of last year. The number is reportedly around 15,000. With more than six times the number of troops at the height of the war, airstrikes conducted were frequently close air support missions called in by U.S. forces as they w- discovered nests of enemy fighters. Today, the targets of airstrikes look largely pre-planned. The United States has shifted from a time-based approach to one based on conditions, says uh, spokeswoman for Air Force Central Command. Conditions on the ground, not arbitrary timetables, would guide the strategy. We no longer recognize arbitrary fighting seasons. Some missions against drug labs are conducted by teams of Afghan and U.S. special ops forces carrying out raids. These ground-based attacks sometimes bring back pictures and reports that help document the narcotics business. The uh, Army estimates that these efforts have deprived the Taliban of an estimated $220 million in revenue. Some experts express serious doubts about those numbers. David Mansfield, senior fellow at the London School of Economics, has researched opium production in Afghanistan for the past 20 growing seasons. In a January report, he questioned the high tax rate U.S. officials claim the Taliban applies to drug labs, as well as the total value of drugs said to be destroyed. I really don't know how U.S. forces came to the conclusion of a 20 percent tax rate to the Taliban, he told Military Times. Fieldwork and indeed economics suggests it is nothing like this. Ultimately, without them sharing the assumptions that inform how they calculate their estimate of the loss the Taliban incur from lab strikes, then what they're reporting could at best be described as hope over substance. Gee, we never encounter that in our wars, do we? He continues, I'm afraid the math on this just doesn't make sense to anyone other than themselves. Well, if you have self-driving cars, you can have self-satisfying math. He also expressed concern that ground based intelligence gathering and post impact reporting after airstrikes was poorly done. Based on a November 19th strike, his research determined that three of the six buildings struck there were not actually drug labs. Mansfield research underscores concerns that without the same amount of troops on the ground as in past years, the intelligence gathering for airstrikes may be inadequate. It's not entirely clear how U.S. forces are gathering the intelligence necessary to conduct strikes effectively given the roughly 85% reduction of troops since 2011. David Shedd, former acting director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, says that the technical intelligence is as good as it's ever been, but human intelligence gathering has likely receded alongside the footprint of U.S. forces. I can't imagine the human intelligence piece is just as good with fewer people, he says, but the technical connection, collection remains very, very strong. He points to the greater capabilities of aircraft sensors downrange to scour targets, as well as the monitoring of radio frequencies and other more complex signals and imagery collection. Does it replace on-the-ground tactical elements that I would trust to report back accurately? Probably not 100%, he said. But I understand it's in the good-enough category to maintain this campaign where it's at now, Before the drawdown, troops working in remote villages would constantly collect information to pass up the chain, where it was sussed through and fused together within a broader network of technical and ground-based data. National intelligence agencies rarely have the granularity of intelligence gathering that a ground force could provide, Shedd says. In an era with a much smaller forward deployed presence, deployed presence, it remains unclear if the replacement of human intelligence gathering with technical collection will always suffice. The US, the U.S. force's spokeswoman said she couldn't provide information on how exactly they're currently sourcing their intelligence. But let's expend, let's expend some um, weaponry otherwise. Conclusion that um, one must, must arrive at, ladies and gentlemen, when I read the trades for you, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now...
3: I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am.
4: Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said.
1: Purdue University scientists led a comprehensive analysis of research concerning the effects of microplastics on aquatic life. Results show widely differing impacts among different types of animals you might expect that strong negative effects were particularly apparent for small animals larval fish and zooplankton we should care because that's a source of food for many species and suggests serious potential consequences that could ripple throughout the food web this comes from Purdue University an associate professor in Purdue's Department of Forestry and Natural Resources led a team that designed a meta-analysis of research relating to the effects of microplastics on aquatic life, published in the journal Science of the Total Environment. That's a bit ambitious, isn't it? Used results from 43 other studies that each considered the effects of microplastics on consumption of food, growth, reproduction, and or survival of aquatic animals. Most significant findings included, on average, exposure to microplastics negatively affects consumption, growth, and survival of aquatic animals. So, basically... Not so good. However, the results are highly varied, and not all groups of animals were affected in the same ways. Microplastics significantly reduced growth, reproduction, and survival of zooplankton. When exposed to microplastics, larval and juvenile fish see negative effects on natural consumption of other foods. At least they can still see. One of the types of organisms that seems to be affected is crustacean zooplankton, which are the main prey for many small fishes. The fact that these very small organisms are consuming these microplastics or altering their growth, reproduction, and survival means there could be consequences up the food web. And, from another university, plastic is famous for its unyielding durability, making it perfect for consumer products, but a unique and persistent menace to the natural environment. We're going back to turtles here, ladies and gentlemen. As the San Diego Diego Desk reported, focusing for the second week on turtle sex. I know it sounds like a small town in England. It's not. Loggerhead sea turtles we're talking about this week. They nest on the once pristine beaches bounding the Gulf of Mexico. Now, millimeters thick pieces of broken down plastic, your microplastics, pose a particularly urgent threat. New study from Florida State University researchers shows that increasing microplastic accumulation along the Gulf's beaches could alter the composition of shoreline sand, jeopardizing the turtle's Sensitive incubation environments. Who knew turtles and their um, love making are such sensitive uh, subjects? These findings were published in the journal Marine Pollution Bulletin. There's enough pollution to have a bulletin. With increasing populations, higher demand for resources, and more use of plastic, we're having a lot more plastic and microplastic appearing as marine debris. That sounds like a, a great name for a uh, an internet influencer, doesn't it? Marine debris? The, no, this is a stu- according to the study's co-author. In the coastal areas, we're seeing significantly more pollution. The uh, study surveyed the 10 most important loggerhead turtle nesting sites in Florida. I believe this is according to scientists. I don't believe the turtles weighed in on how important they were, but go ask a turtle, you know. small uh, sand, sa- sand samples collected throughout the region revealed that microplastics were present at every site. So, turtles can't win. More alarming, the highest concentrations of microplastics were found consistently in the dunes where sea turtles tend to rest. So, microplastics and sea turtles love the same kind of dunes, apparently. Plastic has a tendency to retain large amounts of heat in response to comparably moderate increases in temperature. If enough plastic is present in a sandy environment, the area could experience measurable temperature increases. That's a particular concern in sea turtle nests. Or marine turtle eggs, incubation temperatures are destiny. Sea turtles have temperature-dependent sex determination, as we discussed last week, which means their sex is determined by the sand temperature. Changes in incubation temperatures might modify the sex re- ratios produced on these nesting beaches. We don't know at this stage how much microplastic is needed to see those changes. So one way to find out, let's all do what we can to make more microplastics so they can find out for sure whether we're having... Too many male sea turtles. One word, ladies and gentlemen. One word microplastics. And uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, not to startle you, but. News of the Godly. You um, may remember the name Cardinal George Pell. He's been mentioned on this sh- in this feature, in this show before. He was uh, one of the leading prelates in Australia for many years, uh, as Australia experienced its own widespread uh, problem with clergy, mainly Catholic clergy, and uh, the uh, sexual messing about with uh, young young people. Uh, then he was moved to the Vatican, where he's put in charge of Vatican finances sort of out of out of uh, out of range you might think but no an australian magistrate this week ruled that cardinal pell one of the most senior officials in the vatican will stand trial now on historical sexual offense charges the decision comes as the church in rome according to uh, the uh, guardian continues to be dogged by accusations or accused by dogs that it has failed to be to do enough to come with to grips with a sexual abuse crisis. For some advocates, the development in Melbourne was a rare victory for secular law after decades in which the Church has handled priests and senior clergy accused of sexual abuse within the Vatican's own judicial system. There go the judge. The decision marks a turning point in the global abuse crisis in the Catholic Church, said a statement from bishopaccountability.org. That is not the name of a bishop. That is the name of an org. It tracks cases of alleged abuse. The Australian government has put the Catholic Church on equal footing with other institutions and treated its leaders as fellow citizens, he says. By the way, just because we have these stories uh, quite regularly on this broadcast, often involving uh, problems of this kind existing in the United States, when the Catholic Church pays out millions of dollars in uh, settlements to victims, that in effect, is taxpayer money, because all, like all religious institutions, the church is tax-exempt. All its property, all its uh, doings, are, if they were civilian doings, would be taxable. They're not. So, in effect, we're subsidizing these settlements. Stand tall, everybody. In Rome, the question now is whether Pope Francis is prepared to take tougher action against accused priests, as well as the bishops who have been accused of protecting them. On Tuesday, a Vatican spokesman released a short statement on the Pell case, saying the cardinal is on leave from his duties. He didn't comment on the judge's decision. Pell has strongly denied wrongdoing and has pleaded not guilty to all of the allegations, which have not been made public by the court. Some charges related to the case have already been dismissed. So if, if, if you're inclined to hold your breath, hold off on it. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
3: Gone back home, T-90, to the land of the beautiful queen. Gone back home to my baby going back to New Orleans. On the tip here come the Neville brothers. that Well, there's Charlie Nembler. Red beans and fine broccoli. Get some love and that gon' satisfy home oh, in New Orleans.
1: From New Orleans, home of Charles Neville, who passed away this week. This is the show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm. Won't you? A new study of chemical reactions that occur when organic matter decomposes in freshwater lakes has revealed that the debris from trees suppresses the production of methane. Debris from plants, like those found in reed beds, actually promotes the production of methane, a harmful greenhouse gas. Vegetation in and around bodies of water continue to change. This is according to fizz.org. I love the fizz. With forest cover being lost while global warming causes wetland plants to thrive, the many lakes of the northern hemisphere, already a major source of methane, could almost double their emissions in the next 50 years. The researchers say the findings suggest the discovery of yet one more feedback loop in which environmental disruption and climate change trigger the release of ever more greenhouse gas that further warms the planet, similar to the concerns over the methane released by fast-melting Arctic permafrost. It's fast melting. Methane is a greenhouse gas at least 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide. It doesn't last as long in the atmosphere, but when it's there, it's it's more potent. Freshwater ecosystems already contribute as much as 16% of the Earth's natural methane emissions, just 1% from all the world's oceans. The researchers point the current methane emissions of freshwater ecosystems alone offsets around a quarter of all the carbon soaked up by land, plants, and soil. That's the natural carbon sink that drains and stores CO2 from the atmosphere. Up to 75% of the methane emissions from an individual lake <laughs> – they're not really individuals, though – are the result of organic matter shed primarily by plants that grow in or near the water. Methane gas gets generated ...as a uh, byproduct of the consumption of that stuff by microbes. Even though the sun does not shine in Antarctica in the wintertime... ...in some places, snow on the glaciers can melt. The cause, warm wind. Pardon me. This is from uh, Eureka alert Utrecht great glacier researcher Peter Kuypers-Muniki... ...has discovered by combining images of weather statistics... Uh, and satellite images. His findings were published in geophysical research letters. Winter in Antarctica, as you know, is black and freezing for months on end. Now it turns out there are, on the coast, winter is usually a bit milder and that those relatively warm spots, winter temperatures can be even warmer than minus 13 Fahrenheit. When the mercury rises above zero, snow begins to melt, causing several... That would be 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Snow begins to melt, causing several meltwater lakes to accumulate on top of the underlying glacier These lakes can be 164 feet wide, up to half a mile in length, and that can help the glaciers not survive. The Persian Gulf, also known as the Arabian Gulf, well, let's fight about that some more, may lose up to 12% of its marine biodiversity in some areas before the end of the century if countries in the region do not take measures to address climate change. They can't even agree on the name of the gulf. What do you... This is again from fizz.org. Man, we fizzing. According to scientists at the University of British Columbia and the University of Western Australia. Now see if they can get together. A business-as-usual climate scenario will severely affect species richness off the coast of Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Qatar, and the United Arab Emirates by the end of the century. Some species may be able to avoid changes in environmental conditions by migrating north toward cooler waters off the coasts of Kuwait and northern Iran, but then they run out of uh, water pretty soon. The northern Gulf is surrounded by land, creating a cul-de-sac effect, meaning marine species will not be able to shift their distributions further. Poleward! I say poleward, everyone. Consequently, the area suitable to species currently present in the Gulf will be shrinking substantially under climate change. This is the lead author, Colette Wabnitz, being quoted there. Among the eight countries uh, that comprise the Gulf area, the UAE is is expected to perform the worst. It may lose as much as 45% of its catch potential. That's fish to you and me. Unlikely to have major economic consequences because the UAE is not very dependent on its fisheries. But Bahrain Bahrain, could lose almost 9% of its catch. Very significant to Bahraini coastal communities that rely heavily on fisheries for food and employment. Researchers suggest the general pattern of response to climate change they found is likely to be applicable to many fishes and invertebrates in the Gulf, but the good news is the Saudis are going to allow the fish to drive, so you know progress it's just a, it's an incremental thing now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the week uh, for <laughs> President Trump um, well there was some good good economic news uh, unemployment rate. The overall unemployment rate uh, fell beneath 4% for the first time in a long time, to 3.9%. This is the same unemployment rate that President Trump, when he he was a candidate, used to denigrate. But now he's renegrating it. Um, And there is news still uh, looking towards a, a meeting of the presidents of the United States and North Korea. I believe... Uh, this program last week discussed the news that a North Korean, one of the major sites for testing weapons, nuclear weapons, nuclear stuff in North Korea, had had a seismic collapse. If not, I'm telling you now, one of the major sites that North Korea, maybe the major one, used as a nuclear testing site, has collapsed, the mountain under which they were running these tests, has had a, a severe seismic collapse. Scientists have been warning about this, looking at the seismic signals after the last few nuclear tests. Not really reported that much in the major media, like as if it has nothing to do with the current move by North Korea towards talks about the future of its nuclear program. Just the fact that its, it's mountain where the nuclear tests are conducted has collapsed. No real reason to care. The judge in um, Paul Manafort's uh, case denounced the tactics of the special prosecutor this week, saying that the special prosecutor really didn't care about Manafort's uh, nefariousness in in, uh, financial activities in 2005-2006, but was using them as a cudgel to get Manafort to tell stuff about President Trump. Uh, The president's legal team, had a big shakeup Ty Cobb, not the baseball player, the lawyer left the legal team. Previously John Dowd had left. They were replaced by Emmett Flood who has a lot of experience with this kind of stuff. I think he worked on the Bill Clinton impeachment thing. And uh, replaced also by Rudy Giuliani who had a a week on television right I guess it would be neck and neck between the number of TV appearances Rudy Giuliani and Michael Avenatti, Stormy Daniels' lawyer, have made on television. I I think they're vying for the crown this week. Uh, Obviously, uh, Giuliani's, Rudy Giuliani's uh, appearances have been more newsworthy because he went on Sean Hannity's Fox News program Wednesday night and revealed that contrary to what President Trump had said previously, at one of his many impromptu meetings with the press, in what I think can now fairly be described as an impromptu presidency, that uh, Trump had said he didn't know anything about the payment of $130,000 to keep porn actress Stormy Daniels from spilling the beans, to use a Trumpianism, over their alleged affair, that uh, Rudy said, no, he did know about it. He reimbursed lawyer Michael Cohen. For the money, And it had nothing to do with the campaign. But then he went on Fox News on Thursday morning and said, well, imagine what it would be like to have the news of Stormy Daniels' affair with the president come out during the campaign. And then Rudy issued a uh, uh, Trump issued uh, three tweets supporting Rudy's version of events. And then Rudy issued a statement on Friday, kind of walking back some of what he'd said previously. Reports in the white uh, from anonymous, always anonymous staff in the White House, always anonymous, always impromptu, uh, that uh, people were left wondering what the story is and what the story is that they're supposed to tell, like Sarah Sanders. Stories also circulating this week of the president's increasing ire with uh, his chief of staff, John Kelly, his refusal to be uh, handled, managed by Kelly, and his in- insistence that Kelly had in some... Uh, circumstances imagine this not told him the truth yeah it takes it takes a while to uh, encompass all of that unless
4: this week for the first time war breaks out on the legal team and for the businessman turned chief executive it's never too late to get the facts straight until now Rudy so uh, mr. Trump I think we got everything settled down now with the third version of my second press... I mean, my... Sorry. The second version... Okay, good. Maybe just to make sure we're on the same page. Explain it to me. Uh, The the settlement deal? Yeah, the thing. Go ahead. It's just me in here. And the cameras. Uh, Okay. Uh, You know, act like you're talking to Sean Hannity, Uh who, by the way, just like me, only uses Michael Cohn for the tiny, tiny percentage of his most elite gold platinum problems. Right, so, and this is, I understand it uh, from my not speaking to you or Michael Cohen, so that that understanding, while completely factual, is is based on no first or second hand knowledge of any kind. You, uh, Michael, undertook on your behalf and without your knowledge to execute an agreement to not disclose false or defamatory information about you and sealed that deal with money from his own account, which you then, without your knowledge, reimbursed him through retainer payments. Which? Uh, 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 which you were aware okay, of. Okay, good. And what else? I don't, I don't think we're having this conversation. Okay. I think you caught up. Uh, wh- one question, sir. Mm-hmm. If the cameras are here, we must be having this conversation. If you know what I mean. You ever notice that nobody's ever seen the old Apprentice tapes, right? (laughs) Got it. The fat Tony Salerno treatment. I didn't say that. Now, this week, Rudy, you've got a major, major task. Mm -hmm. You succeed in this challenge, you will be in terrific shape as we get to the finals. There's something more final than this? Okay, here's the deal. This uh, other Michael lawyer, the, the the one with the Italian name? Uh, Stormy's lawyer. He's on TV every night. Mm-hmm. He says whatever comes into his head, true, not true, God knows how he gets away with it. Uh, speaking of God, the prayer breakfast people called me. They just wanted to say how grateful they are that you got the Bible verse right this year. Okay, whatever. So this uh, Michael, who's this? Avenatti. You know, I'm going to start calling him Nutty, Avenatti. <laughs> you like that? Well, anyway... He's getting in the way of our message. What, you want me to call some people who know some people? I still got Bernie Carrick on Speed Dog. I want you to go on Hannity and tell Sean that some people are saying that uh, this nutty Michael has been to Russia, and some people even think he may be the collusion. Can you do that? I don't know if the Hannity people want me back this soon. They they usually have you a... You tell them to screw their rules. This is a big deal. This could blow everything wide open. Or not. We'll see. Mr. President, you know, I'd, I'd never let you down. Again? Uh, uh, again. I I didn't think I'd let him down before, but hey, it's, it's his boardroom. And at, at this rate, I could still end up as Secretary of State. General Kelly. Yes, sir. I uh, I have to say, sir, mm-hmm. if you're <laughs>
1: responsible for the leaks about how unhappy you are with my performance, I'd appreciate it if you'd uh, let me know directly.
4: General, as I said when you were uh, standing beside me for a photo up mm-hmm. I'm loving having you and the General Kelly team. That's why the hell we named the team after you, for God's sake. Oh, uh, sir, speaking of which, the uh, prayer breakfast people... I know, I know, Rudy told me. Ma'am. I got the Bible verse right. I I can't figure out how they even know. There's so many of them. Anyway, General, you've got a big new task this week. Well, sir, if I may, just keeping everybody
1: in the uh, information loop is itself a big task. This and every week, if I could uh, make a suggestion... General,
4: you're here to control the process. Do I look like the process? (laughs) No, sir. (laughs) I didn't think so, Mm -hmm. but I just wanted to check. Mm -hmm. Look, General the new white house doctor is a disgrace
1: well sir dr uh, ronnie really couldn't come back after all the controversy and
4: once again with the so-called anonymous sources leaking to the fake news who are these people and if they don't exist why can't you control them
1: that's a good question sir but uh, what's wrong with the new doctor he came with the highest recommendations and uh, no i don't mean for president obama i know how that Set you off sometimes.
4: What's wrong with him? I'll tell you what's wrong with him. I've got to get this stress test thing. Yes, sir. That's uh,
1: been on the schedule for- And
4: I wrote something for him to release after the test. Mm -hmm. And he, and I mean this, is just a disgrace. He refused to- Was
1: this the release that said that your heart was uh, stronger than the Hoover Dam?
4: May have said something in there like that. In any case, I need a doctor to, to, who gets the, the deal. I'm, I, you know, I'm the person who defeated Hillary Clinton by the largest margin in the history of the Electoral College, and he's not. Can you do it?
1: I'm sure we can find a highly qualified practitioner who can show you the uh, necessary deference, sir. And you can do it this week? Well, and the hurry would be because... Because uh, next
4: week is the... Damn stress test for God's sake. General, keep your eye on the damn ball. You can do that, right? Yes, sir. I'm uh, I'm in it to win it. New teams, new tasks, same mission. We're
3: gonna make the White House doctor great again!
4: Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentis. This week, Incredible was never like this.
0: i
1: now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Penn State Health is saying sorry to patients who were told earlier this month to go elsewhere to get the care they need. The hospital system says it's sending apology letters to 2,100 neurology patients at Milton Hershey Medical Center, mmm chewy, promising that they can attend to their needs despite staffing challenges specifically related to multiple sclerosis care. The apology letters are a response to letters sent to those same patients, way back in April seventeenth, suggesting they seek care for their multiple sclerosis at different hospitals. Deadline: Chicago United Airlines. Oh no, not them again. They're they're regular visitors to the apology thing. Is responding to reports of an incident involving an attendant, saying it is aware of a concerning incident involving a flight attendant serving in our regional service provider, Trans States Airlines statement came after a person who indicated in an online post she was on the flight, posted pictures and cell phone video of a flight attendant looking disheveled and later confronting another passenger. As a gesture of goodwill, says United, we have compensated all customers aboard the flight and we apologize for any inconvenience or distress this may have caused. In their statement, they did not say whether they were going to reshevel the uh, flight attendant. The airline, the uh, regional airline says it's aware of reports of a flight attendant's erratic behavior. The incident is under investigation. The flight attendant is meanwhile being held out of service. Philadelphia Phillies broadcaster Mike Schmidt apologized Monday for on-air comments and included a sexist joke and a remark that seemed to make light of the Me Too movement against sexual harassment and assault. During yesterday's broadcast, I made a mistake while attempting to be humorous, Schmidt said in a statement. It was not my intention to offend anyone. My daughter passionately marches in support of the Me Too movement in Boston. I support her in every way. I offer my sincerest apologies. He had said... Uh, during a, a game in which a, a Braves pitcher's wife had joked that her husband can play after dislocating his shoulder but still can't do the dishes, prompted Schmidt to say, I've got a dishwasher at oh, home myself, my wife. That was bad, huh? I, actually, I do the dishes most of the time. You're staring at me. Me too moving. Where does that fit in? Unquote. Deadline Ford Lauderdale, I've heard of that, a Florida newspaper apologized after running a gun show advertisement on its front page near two stories and a photo about local mass shootings. The publisher, Nancy Meyer, issued a statement saying the placement violated the paper's policy banning gun and other controversial ads from the front page. The the Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, has apologized after he was accused of anti-Semitism, following a speech in which he suggested that historical persecution of European Jews had been caused by their conduct, not by their religion. Abbas made the comments during a wide-ranging speech in Ramallah. It also drew condemnation from the U.S. and the EU. Late this week, he said he rejected anti-Semitism in all its forms and called the Holocaust the most heinous crime in history. In a statement issued by his office after a four-day meeting, of the Palestinian National Council. People were offended by my statement in front of the Palestinian National Council, he says, especially people of the Jewish faith. I apologize to them. It was not my intention to do so. I Reiterate my full respect for the Jewish faith as well as other monotheistic faiths. Druids arise. Gigi Hadid and Vogue Italia have separately apologized for the May issue of the fashion magazine showing the cover actually showing the top model with a darker skin tone and hair color that set off a social media backlash and underlined the back lack of diversity in the fashion industry hadid said diversity needs to be addressed i don't want to take opportunities away from anyone else the cover showed the normally blonde hadid with dark hair and heavily bronzed skin wearing a tiara and sequined jumpsuit tiara and jumpsuit i don't think so China's Academy of Sciences apologized this week after pictures of people holding a Taoist ritual ceremony at the start of construction for its nuclear facility made waves online. Construction firms often practice Buddhist and Taoist rituals as a mark of respect to nature (laughs) when beginning building work in China. Many said said such practices, which involved, in this case, sacrificing a lamb and burning papers for good luck were out of place at a site intended to advance science. This looks like the project's builder really believed in the ritual said one. Two nuclear scientists have also been suspended. The Institute apologized for bringing negative influences into society. The CEO of Nike, Mark Parker, Mark Parker, called a rare company-wide staff meeting this week and apologized to employees for allowing a culture where staff employees were excluded and workplace complaints of inappropriate behavior were dismissed. A bro boys club culture. At least six Nike executives and senior managers Managers, including a former Nike brand president, were forced out of the sneaker empire since March after reports of years of sexist behavior by male employees against female staffers. Message from the top, just don't do it. And a Colorado university has apologized for two Native American brothers who were removed from a campus tour after a parent called the police. The brother's mother said they were taken off the tour because a parent was suspicious of how quiet they were. The apology, (laughs) I don't write them. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, it is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week on the audio device of your choice. And it'd be just like us all getting to write our own doctor's evaluations, if you agree to join with me then. But you already, thank you very much, Uh uh-huh. tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego Pittsburgh Chicago in exile and Hawaii desks thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Garrett Pittman here at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast the email address for this program you'll find uh, also playlist of the songs heard here on and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for the whole family all of that is at harryshearer.com and if you if that's not enough opportunity to bitch and moan at me or to, yeah, to do that, I'm on the Twitter at the Harry Scherer. If you're in New York City, come join me. If you'd like, I'll be at the Iridium Club this Thursday evening to see Judith Owen and the legendary Leland Sklar, and the soon-to-be legendary Pedro Segundo. 8.30, I think, when I'll be there. And and she'll be there. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from New Orleans...